Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and I'm joining you from post-production as we continue our episode that we started on Monday with our friend PD Webb discussing the winners and losers of their current draft stock in the 2020 NBA Draft. So today we're going to talk about the guys who we believe are losers of their stock. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. I'd like to take a second to shout out the network that helps distribute our show, Armchair Media. Armchair is a collection of 50-plus podcasts, including ours, trying to localize the sports world a little bit more. We've we've been with them since March and have enjoyed growing our audience with theirs. Starting June 1st, Bet Online will serve as a title sponsor for Armchair as well as our show. This will open up the possibility to develop merchandise lines as well as potentially host live events once we, once we return to a semblance of normalcy. In addition to Bet Online coming aboard, Armchair will now serve as the host network for the world's lar- largest skateboarding podcast, The Nine Club. Hosted by professional skaters Chris Roberts and Kelly Hart, The Nine Club talks every week with the biggest names in skating. They're on social media at The Nine Club. To see more, search Armchair Media wherever you get your pods. Also, check us out on Armchair's website, armchairmedianetwork.com, and their socials at Armchair Media. Armchair Media, those who can do, those who don't can't. Take a seat. Yeah. Uh, w- which is really important, as we talked about. And, I mean, I feel like we've done a lot of bagging on Kira in this segment, or Kyra in this segment, but he is, like, a quite good prospect. And, I mean, just going back to the beginning uh, of this, going to a team where he's not going to be forced to really create advantages by himself out of isolation and out of pick and roll and finish in difficult situations is just going to be beneficial for him in the long term. So. Yeah. All right, so should we move on to our first guy who is going to not benefit as, like, a, a loser of their stock? Yeah, let's talk about Tyrese Halliburton. So I don't think this should come as a surprise after the last time we had PD on, but Tyrese Halliburton, I think, like, po- like maybe the single biggest loser, pro- probably the single biggest loser in this regard, um, because um, he is currently eighth, for DX. Uh, and I mean, the, you just look at how he's talked about by mainstream sources. He's talked about as a point guard, as an initiator. And I mean, it's just insane. If he's, if he's asked to do that, he is going to struggle so much. Um, and it's why I think with him, again, it's something that we talked about last time PD was on that. He's such a good second draft guy because whatever team is drafting him in the top 10 is almost definitely going to try to turn him into an initiator and it's going to fail really badly. And then some smart team will scoop him up, throw him in next to their jumbo initiator and their on ball uh, guard creator. And he's going to be a really, really dope uh, connecting piece. 
Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Halliburton enough on the show, so I don't think we're going to spend too much time. But just like like all, all the numbers you need to know are the sub-20 free throw rate, only 46 makes at the rim. That's that's not 46 dunks. That's that, that's 46 makes at the rim. I mean, besides just the, the contact version and the lack of burst and lack of strength, he, he just doesn't have what it takes to be a primary, and that's a problem. I mean, unless you're a really I, – I don't see a team – in the top ten, or even the top five, where I mean, I I've seen him slated at at some points. Is is not going to have the patience or wherewithal to to make him a connecting tissue? Because a team in the top five is also going to want to sell tickets and sell their guy, and that's not going to be placing him as like the fourth offensive option and just have him move the ball and like attack a closeout. That's that's going to be a guy who give, they give the ball to, whether it's beneficial for him or the team or not. So. I mean. Uh, like, are there any fits that you guys think? I mean, I guess we'll limit it to like realistic top ten teams. Like, are there any fits that you guys actually feel good about? I mean, there there are a couple that I think. I mean, would, would be non disastrous. Like, I mean, like I think Golden, Golden State, State is like the one that I mean, assuming like Steph Curry is healthy, Clay, and I mean Wiggins. I mean, for all he is, I mean, is uh, I mean for all he's not. I mean, they're guys who will. Like th- there's just not enough room for Halliburton to to run enough pick and rolls and ha- create enough to be disastrous with with that lineup. I mean, so I think Golden State is the one, but like Golden State is also probably gonna like have the first pick and no, no, they're not. They're not probably gonna have the first pick. That's not remotely how this works. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean they'll probably have a top, a pretty high pick. They will. They will have a top. They five. They will have a high pick. And yeah. Um. Just, I don't know. Like, how do we feel about um, Minnesota, Atlanta, and Phoenix? Those are the other top ten uh, situations yeah. that I think are like less likely. I to think it's like more acceptable because of the presence of Trey. I mean, just someone who can play off him. Oh. Yeah, I mean, conceivably, like I guess Herder could be like another creator, but I mean, that's not certainly not the level you want in place. I don't think, I mean, PD, do you feel good about any of those fits? Like potentially enabling Halliburton to play in a role that will, you know, be conducive to success. Um, if I'm going to limit it away from teams that like are uh, like Golden State, which are already set up for success. Like the, the one that I come back to that like is interesting is Washington. Uh-huh. Uh, because they have enough creation and like um, they have enough defensive problems that like him in isolation against you know moving his feet against wings isn't going to be like the biggest deal. <laughs> um, but other than that, like if if all of this sounds harsh, like I please go back and watch the West Virginia game. Please go back and watch the Baylor game. Like these are extremely real concerns that are backed up by. I mean, even to go back to the Team USA stuff, like. There's a lot of this on tape. Um, I'm really excited for him uh, at age, you know, 24, 25. But uh, I'm very much fading him with pretty extreme exceptions in this draft. Yeah, I mean, when when he when he winds up like playing next to Zion and I don't know, like Cole Anthony in five years or something like that uh, on the Pelicans, then it'll it'll look pretty good. But um, yeah, uh, the, the first contract I think is not is not going to be good. All right, so we've talked enough about Halliburton today and just in general. So sh- should we move on to Denny? Yeah, let's let's move on to Denny. Um, 
Yeah, so Denny, I think, is is trending up. Like there was a point where where he was definitely on the decline, and then midseason, it seemed like he kind of was cemented as a top five uh, guy for for the mainstream. Um, and I mean, you'd have to think that that Denny is being drafted in the top five, like Halliburton, to be a creator. Whereas he's another guy who I think is a connecting piece. I think less less limited than Halliburton as a scorer because Denny is. I think a pretty good slasher um, and, and just uh, you know, had, like offers, I think more utility as a cutter. Like Danny is, is like an outlier, good cutter. He's really good. Um, but, but still just like a, a cog, uh, not the creator you're drafting in the top five. Um, and I mean, I don't even like, even if he had the, like, like the, there's a video going, a couple of videos going around of Denny shooting and uh, I think we'll, we'll let PD talk about that a little bit. But like, even if he develops a competent pull-up, do you guys think that he has creation equity? No. But- yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. But um, yeah, I mean, PD, you want you want to explain your thinking there? Um, yeah. Uh, Denny is somebody who needs a very specific system to be successful. Um, I think that he's a worse passer than he gets credit for because teams at youth levels reacted to him like he was a, a nut score um, when he has to read a defense playing him straight up and he doesn't get to you know get the ball in advanced positions like it being front in the high post. Um, I found his reads to be pretty basic. Um, he can hit cutters well. He has passes that he is comfortable with, but he's not seeing around corners. He's not, you know, understanding that this person's going to tag, so he's going to fake. I don't see him as a particularly advanced uh, dribbler. He struggles in isolation to an incredible degree. He lives off tough shots. And um, I I think that I think that Denny uh, shares some aesthetic similarities to people who live off tough shots. And for that, he will get the idea of him being a primary or a serious creator lives on. If it wasn't for those aesthetic create, uh, aesthetic creators that he appears to look like, um, i.e. he's an international white dude. Um, if he didn't look like that and you just saw him on paper, you'd be like, all right, so uh, he's, you know, the third pass on a possession. As for yeah. the, the yeah. shooter stuff. Can I just jump into that real quick? Sorry. To yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Um, so I, um, I, I, I feel like he's rising because he posted two videos on Twitter. Um, <laughs> it's truly workout season, even without workouts. Like, <laughs> so I would, I think that good things are happening in his jumper. The the changes, the mechanical changes that have been made. Um, Denny's. I've always believed that Denny will shoot, and I do not think it matters to his evaluation unless he is a nuts shooter. It is nice that he is learning how to like land quietly on his jumper, um, but this is a re- version one of a rebuild, and whatever NBA team that takes him will rebuild their, his jumper on their own time. Um, it's not replicable for how he plays. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, and even if you believe that he is a positional plus shooter, there's still not enough avenues for him to create great value for him to be taken top five, in my opinion. Yeah, and again, I mean, he's a guy who all of his skills are pretty much maximized when he's playing off ball, attacking a tilted defense, has advantages created for him, because that's when his passing and his 
more limited handling ability is going to allow him to slash because when he can get downhill and, and when he gets going to the paint, I mean, he is strong and he can really finish. But let's get in there in the first place. Uh, I mean, would definitely lend him better playing next to a guy who's going to create that for him and not being asked to to create their those things by himself. Yeah, I mean, the, to like make more explicit what what PD I guess was was alluding to is like I don't think it's a coincidence that Denny was solidified as a top five guy in the midst of a season where Luka Doncic is playing like an MVP. Um, I like it, the, those comparisons are always going to be made. I mean, it's the same same idea with whenever the draft happens and and you, people are freaking out about Tyrese Maxey's college three point percentage. Like, there is going to be a Luka Doncic, Denny Avdia comparison made, yeah. and it's it's ludicrous. I mean, they're they're not remotely similar players. I'm excited for your tweet that predicts correctly all of the comparisons <laughs> because I think you got every single one last year. Yeah, like, I, I yeah, I got like all of the bad ones last year, I'm pretty sure. I think the only one you missed was Rui Kawhi, which I Yes, I missed I missed Rui Kawhi because I even, mean how could you predict that? Even yes, even when I was was pretending to have like the most diseased brain, I could not come up with a Rui Kawhi comparison. See, you were, you made the mis- you made the mistake of having a galaxy brain take and you should have had an alternate dimension galaxy. <laughs> I think that was Jalen Rose, maybe I, I, I don't know. Or yeah, it, it was one one of the non DX mm. ESPN guys. Mm. Comparisons um, are always a problem. Like comparisons are yes. always yes. going to be an issue. Yes. No, even if you nail it perfectly, you still look crazy when you say it. There's no like what comparisons mean has always been a thing that like hurts my brain just because of the specific way that I'm wired. Um, but. I think that a lot of Denny is hoping that he's somewhere between like Gallo and uh, Luca, which is like a ridiculous thing for to expect a teenager to be. That's like, a very people, good player. That's a very good player. It's also like one of like Gallo is quietly one of the ten best isolation. Like if you just lined up a one on one tournament, I would put Gallo so much higher than you think he should go. Yeah, but and Gallo, Gallo's like a pretty bonkers shooter, right? Like yeah. he's been one of the better shooters. I mean, I, I mean, like, he's always been a really great post score. I mean, he, he, like he is just like not Denny at all. Besides being white, tall, and European, there really are very few similarities in terms of actual basketball. Yeah, comps are bad except for Precious Jua, uh, Kenneth Fareed. Kenneth Fareed, yeah, he's like the same player. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll take credit for that one. <laughs> um, right. Should we move, move on, on to, to Pat Williams? Yeah. Okay. Pat Williams, current stock, um, mid first, maybe late lotto. Um, and as much as it pains me to say it, I think that is bad for his stock because I think the six nine guy who's being drafted um, in in um, in that range is probably going to be forced into being like a very perimeter oriented player. And as we've discussed a lot in the past, uh, Pat Williams' defensive strengths do not uh, lie uh, in um, defending the perimeter. Yeah. And I worry about, I mean, I mean, just looking at the other like wings in this range, I mean, you have Neesmith, you have Bay, you have Vassell, his own teammate are all like archetypally similar. And Patrick Williams is not even close to any of them, yet he's being lumped into this group, it seems. And especially, like, if he ends up rising even more, which I think is possible, that that, that maybe he goes even higher than he is right now, he's going to be further lumped into, like, a 3 and D box, where, like, he's just not a guy who needs to be defending the perimeter. 
at a high rate. And I mean, I mean, offensively, I I, I don't worry as much about his stock because I think he's generally pretty malleable. I mean, as long as he's not asked to like create heavily, which I don't think the team will. I mean, I, I think he's pretty pretty versatile, versatile, and I don't think I struggle to see how he's really going to be overreached there. But I mean, I, I mean, defensively, like it's going to be an issue if he's not allowed to be like a rim protecting four, which if he's allowed to be, he can be quite good at. I think so. Uh, yeah, I, I worry about Pat rising to the point that he goes to a bad home. Um, yeah. That's kind of the plainest way to put it, is that the benefit of having Pat in uh, the fringes of the lottery uh, on either side is that it's more likely that he goes to a team that knows more of what they're doing and has a long-term plan, um, and he doesn't get thrown into the, like, he's a combo wing. What does that mean? How do we use him? Um and that would be the worst thing for you know an extremely young player uh, to go to a situation that doesn't understand him, doesn't understand his body type, doesn't understand you know the long-term value play, and that that might require more patience. Yeah, and I mean, the higher you get in the draft also, I mean, beyond just how he'll be used, you probably run into, say, worse physio staffs who are, who are less uh, equipped to... Uh, correct the specific issues that we've discussed with Patrick Williams' physique. So I think there are so many issues as he, as his rise continues. And um, I mean, I'm not. I don't think I'm going to start to to like price that into my evaluation of him. I still really like him, uh, and I don't think he's going to rise that high. Uh, but it is it is concerning to to see him rising. I think that it's also if there are any kind of workouts at any point he's going to rise more because he is a ludicrous athlete. Yeah. He's, I mean, aside from like the movement we talked about, he is just ridiculous in every way for a guy, his age and his size in terms of explosion. And even like burst is really good for a guy as big as he is. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now don't don't let him get in an open gym and do do dunks. Yeah, we can hope. Uh, now to another guy sort of on the wing forward spectrum, uh, Sadiq Bey. And I think that, I mean, his the stock hurting him is for a different reason, is that people see his college role where he's he's got a lot of creation equity um, and think that that's what he's going to do in the NBA. But, I mean, I was watching recently, and he has zero advantage creation ability. I mean, like every single um, – like drive or just like like he'll have like a dho keeper and it just turns into a post up from the three-point line and he just he he backs the guy down for a few dribbles and then he's just gonna rise up over the top for for uh, a jumper and and like make them an annoying percentage of the time um but i think he's just a guy who like on the ball has has zero advantage creation ability um, and, and the way his stock is trending, like, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sadiq Bey go in the lottery. And I mean, if you're drafting him to be a wing creator, I mean, the guy is just not going to be able to do that. Yeah. I think the only real avenue there is if he becomes like a really good pull-up shooter at his size, which I mean, I guess is possible considering like, like he is like, he was a good shooter at college. And I mean, he's shown the ability to kind of like shoot over contests and has shown some pull-up equity, but yeah, I, I mean, it's really concerning. This is total inability to play on the ball. And I mean, hopefully like a team in that range, I think it's less troubling than other guys considering I doubt he creeps into like the top seven, six. I mean, maybe he does. And if he does even worse for him, but I mean, if he's still playing as like a three and D guy, cause teams in that range are still going to cover that. And 
he's just limited on limited on the ball because he really i mean he definitely can attack off the ball and, and make things happen but i mean i mean he's not like a horrible passer i mean like like, like he's not Nee smith as like a passer or like i mean he and he can finish better than he can but still not a guy you want doing any sort of creation yeah that's uh that's kind of the book is that he's the most villanova of the villanova people that they write <laughs> produced so far like they're all like he's an he's an extraordinary shooter for his size. Uh, he does the Villanova post up a crazy amount. He has the oldest man game that you could pro- like probably get from somebody his age. And if you ask him to be your second or third option on a team, like you're probably going to be screwed. Six foot eight, Jalen Pickett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the extent to which like he has old man game is ridiculous. Like I I I can't stand watching ah. it. But I mean, yeah, like. If he if he stays where he is now, which is I think like back end of the top twenty, I think it'll be fine. Like I don't think that's a good use of a pick that high, but I think it'll be fine. Like like yeah. like he'll just he'll settle in as like a middling wing. Yeah. But if, I, he, if I mean I will have an issue with that. Yeah, but if but if he spikes and and like goes really high, which I do think I mean I think probably less likely now that he didn't have like a tournament run to really you know showcase himself. Um, but I think like if if he is a guy who ends up going in the lottery uh w- which is possible um like whatever creation is expected of him will not go well should we move on yeah right. and i decided to move up aaron smith because he's kind of in a similar boat here as a guy who again trending up as this lotto guy who missed a lot of the season two so really his benefit not having to face high tier sec competition i mean i mean he played one sec game uh, against auburn i believe and I mean, that was really in that lower level competition. I mean, his limitations in terms of handle and passing and advantage creation were were muted to some degree. Were also very evident, like even more so than Aaron, even more so than Sadiq Bay. Sorry, where he just is not able to like even when he's given advantages like with his off ball motion, which I mean is very very good. Um, he even he even struggles then to really capitalize on advantages created for him. So I mean, just a guy like again, the higher he's drafted, the more I worry with him. So. I I would kind of disagree with this one honestly. I think that people know what Sadiq, I'm mean, not Sadiq, what uh, Aaron Neesmith is. Like I think we talked about this on the misutilizations that like it's pretty unlikely he's going to be misused. I think it's just like what he is is probably being overvalued. How good he is at what he does, I think, is probably being overvalued. But I don't think that there are any um, misconceptions about what he is. I think that there's some overprojection um, on what regression to the mean would have looked like for him. Um, I mean, taking 85% of your threes assisted leads to some uh, boost in the in the percentage. And I just have concerns about how high I've seen him and exactly what it is you expect out of a specialist at that role. Like, I've seen people who have him, like, in the lower half of the top 10. And yeah, that's I, madness. Yeah, it is. But I think that's more overrating the value of what he does than thinking that he's like some dynamic scorer. Cause I don't really think I've seen anyone making the argument that Neesmith is, is like some guy who's going to be getting on ball reps and is like a, a, a dynamic scorer because he's, he's clearly not like if you've watched him at all, you know that he's not. Um, I think it's just overvaluing the like gravitational movement shooter that he is. Yeah. I just don't, 
I just don't the versatility of his threes kind of bugs me. Like, yeah, I mean, he can shoot pull ups. Yeah, it's a specialist with a with a hole like that is very um, disturbing. Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't yeah. disagree. I I I don't like Neesmith, uh no, at all, weird. really. But but I I don't know. I I don't think that. I, for me, it's just it's not it's not like a stock issue. It's not like a how he's used issue. It's just it's just a like I think a disagree like a, it's more like a philosophical disagreement on just like not necessarily thinking that that's all that valuable, and, and I mean a disagreement in evaluation certainly on on like the defense where where if he's being billed as like a three and D guy, uh, I question the D part of that. Yeah, that no no doubt. I mean he should be a, like a fine-ish team defender because he's long and like not this not totally slow, but I mean he. It can't defend the ball at a, like a strong rate, especially against jumbo wings. If if he's asked to do that, so yeah. Now uh, moving on to a guy that I think we all like. Um, another one that pains me to to bring up uh, is uh, show favorite Leandro Bomaro, whose stock right now is as like a late first, a twenties type guy, and. I'm just worried that if he's being drafted in that range to come in as a complimentary wing, that he just is totally unspectacular as a complimentary wing. Like what we talked about with Ignacio last week about how he really like didn't pop in Argentina when uh, in FIBA uh, with Argentina, when he was playing an off ball wing role, it's just not what his skills are suited for. His appeal is as a guy who's playing on the ball on both sides, who's defending the point of attack um, and is using his his dynamic handle and burst and shiftiness, uh, his passing manipulation, his his um, you know just his mind and vision and size to to be a dynamic on ball player. And just if he's being drafted late first, hopefully it's a team that you know maybe wants to stash him and let him develop as that, or bring him over and let him develop as that in the G League. But I worry that it would be a team trying to get short term wing help. Uh, and I think that would be very detri- detrimental to his development. Uh, yeah, I mean, as we've seen, like like you said, I mean, when he played up with with Bar- with the big Barcelona club, and even like Barcelona, the the second division team, I mean, he was really effective on the ball. So I mean, you hope a team sees that and is willing to give him reps on the ball because of it. I mean. Just a smart teams like it isn't going to see six seven wing. I mean, who to be fair is on a positive shooting track. I mean, still has questions, but um, has improved there. I mean, just not a guy who you, you could just throw in the corner and 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 not give reps to. Kind of like a Coro in a more like less extreme way, where he really is going to need the ball in his hands and to be not schemed for, but like a guy who's going to be given the ball to to succeed. Yeah, I mean, PD, what do you think the optimal developmental course is with Bulmaro? Do you think it's a situation where he is stashed uh, and you know tries to develop as an as an initiator prospect overseas, or do you think it's coming over and getting G League reps, or coming over or like in a hypothetical where he's drafted by a bad team and getting NBA reps as a creator? I mean, what what do you think about that? I think that he's probably going to get stashed. Um, I don't. I don't think that the G League would be best for him because I think that he can contribute at a defensive level, like at a, immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, he's useful. You could throw him on 
smaller creators, you could throw him on uh, wings who maybe have a little looser handle. He's been really adept at getting through off-ball actions, blowing up handoffs. And so just trying to put him at the highest level where he can still get on-ball reps, um, whether that's going back to Spain or putting him in Turkey for two years. Um, I just don't know what you would expect out of him offensively for the first part of his contract if you're going to put him in the G League. I, I don't think that he is going to be a shooter who, or a cutter who can be left like who defenses won't be fine just leaving in a corner. Yeah, that's why I I think I'm w- like with the idea that I'd like to see him stashed because um, I want him playing a high level of competition. I mean, I guess if if you are a bad NBA team that's just taking shots on on potential creators, like I mean, what like what Cleveland did with um with KPJ, uh, unless that's the case, and you're fine just like burning the first two years of his of his contract at least um unless that's the case i think i want to see him stashed uh and developing as a creator that's uh, go ahead no no i was gonna say go yeah pd if you have something to add on on yeah i mean kpj is um kpj and bolmero are similar in some ways and that they're like they both just have outsized skills for how big of people they are Mm -hmm. um and Bulmero has a little bit more of the passing reads. KPJ is more of a flying tank. Um, and I think that while Cleveland did a good job with, you know, putting him in a professional environment, somebody like Bulmero probably needs more on ball reps where he can just make mistakes through shooting. Uh, I don't really think that the, like, putting him in Washington or, you know, Sacramento is gonna like save him. If that makes sense, those first two years, there's just not a value that I can really find uh, at the range that I would probably be willing to draft him, which is much higher than this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, should we move on to Precious? Yeah, let's do Precious. Yeah, um, so- yeah. I mean, the thing that I don't that I don't get with Precious is like for a team taking him in the lottery. Like, are you drafting him as a as like an undersized five? Like, I, I'm fascinated to see what position he's announced as uh, at the draft. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, th- th- the quick thing with pressures is if you ask him to make any sort of decisions, he's likely gonna fail. I, I mean, and if you don't, I, I, if you allow pressures to just rim run and like be an energy guy, run the floor, get rebounds, block some shots, he'll probably be a pretty solid NBA player. I mean one that at least like gets in a rotation but again like why are you drafting that guy in the lottery if he's someone who is a total non-shooter i mean someone with with a really star shooting projection someone who cannot make decisions which are probably like the two most important things for being like an on-ball player in the nba and he can't do either and yeah i I mean then if he is a small center which like he can do like that's just not a guy who's gonna likely return lottery level value even in this class. I mean, it. it I mean, it's not being projected so high is one just bad for hit for his development. I mean, and just not good for his overall value. So, uh, Precious's development is interesting because he's a very old freshman, so he may not have as much time as you know somebody like Pat Williams. They're just not on the same developmental track. Uh, where would you guys have? Or where would you have um, Precious the center roughly ranked? Where would you have Precious the 
the like four, and where would you have Precious the wing? Progressively lower as the positions go down. I think. Yeah, like uh, if- I mean, Precious the center. I mean, like if I mean, like if a team like Milwaukee is gonna take him in like the late first, like uh, that's fine to me. I mean, I, I I don't know if I would, but I don't hate it. As a four or three, like have a hard time justifying him as a draftable prospect, even especially as a three. Where I mean, he's cannot play on the wing under any circumstance. Four, like maybe a little bit, but still less less optimistic there, just because of his real inability to play on the perimeter. So, yeah, I mean, like, oof. I think if you told me like Precious Achua, one hundred percent of his minutes will come at the five. Uh, I don't know, like probably around forty or something like that. If you said he's going to play the four, I don't know, like around 60, like probably a little bit lower than that. And I mean, if he's a wing, like, I don't know, not, not, top not, not top, no, no, I don't even think top hundred. Like if you told me he will play hundred percent of his minutes at the three, like, I don't think I'd have him top hundred um, because like even, even defensively, which is, I think where the, the precious um, supporters, like, you know, think that he has his most value, even defensively. I feel like his best moments are when he's on the interior and protecting the rim, like not when he's defending the perimeter. Like, yeah, he's a mobile guy, but even even in that realm, his best moments are as a big man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, friend of the pod, John Kep- Chepkevich, uh has. I tried, guys. I I I did my best. Uh, Chepkevich uh, has the consensus board at nineteen uh, for Precious, yeah. and like I've seen. Like that may be the one that has the most natural range to it. Like I've seen people who have Precious twelve, and I've seen people who have Precious fifty, and so much of that is how you define positionality, value of positionality, and what exactly your team needs. Um, I don't think that they, I would play Precious at the four ever. It just yeah. doesn't seem like the the player that. If you were to describe Precious, he would be a perfect four in a lot of ways. And then when you actually watch him play, you're like, oh, so all the things that don't show up on paper are all the reasons he has to be a five. Yeah, I like I asked you this the other day, PD. Like, is Precious the worst spacer in the entire class? As a four, most likely. Yeah. Like I just not not just that he, of course, like doesn't have any shooting like gravity. He just has no sense for no no feel for for spacing um it's just i mean it's a disaster if he's if he is anything but i think you're five it's it's a disaster and it's something we've cited before in the the three games with wiseman against bad competition that he was really bad and that's a tiny sample but i do think it's worthwhile i mean it's worth noting because i mean a, a lottery pick playing against uic and south carolina state should not be struggling yeah, should, should, should we move on to Obi? Yeah. All right, so Obi is actually, like, moving downward, it seems, a little bit after receiving some, like, top three, even number one in one instance hype, which is beyond blasphemous. I mean, on ESPN's most recent best available, I think he was seven, which still is, is a bit high for my tastes. And, I mean, the thing with Obi is just, especially offensively, I mean, if a team asks him to create his own offense – um, I think he's definitely going to struggle because, I mean, w- with Obi, Obi is going to be maximized in an infrastructure where all of his ancillary offensive skills can can be maximized off of off of better players, like his ability to play in the short role, 
uh, some of the spot-up shooting. I mean, that off-ball finishing. I mean, because he is a good pass, a very good passer at a side. He's going to be a great finisher, and he's probably going to hit spot-ups. But what he isn't going to do is generate his own offense because, I mean, Obi's likely not going to get the post volume to have his own offense consistently. I mean, that's just unlikely in the landscape of the NBA today. I mean, and so if you're asking him to make that happen from the perimeter, then that's probably not a thing that he's going to be able to do. And I'm like we've talked about, Obi is already towards the back end of his development track. I mean, he's quite old at the moment for being a sophomore. So, I mean, just someone who has like a lot of utility potentially as a complimentary big or like a bench volume score. But like, again, in in the top 10 even, that's the difficult sell, especially if he's going to be playing a role that's adverse to his development and his value adding. So, Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I think like the sell for Obi is that he's like a really safe bet to be a very good offensive player. And... I'm curious, PD, what you think the level of offensive player Obi will achieve is. Because, like, for big men, it is really hard to contribute that much offensive value when you're not necessarily self-creating that much of your offense. If you're not, like, a special all-time level shooter like Carl Anthony Towns. Like, I think that there's there's been some research on this that, like, you really can only get uh, to really high levels of offensive impact as a big man as, like, an all-time shooter or, like, a like true offensive hub Jokic style. Um, and Obi is, is neither of those things. Like he's a good shooter. He's a, he's a good post passer. Um, but I just have a hard time believing that his offensive impact is actually going to be that high. The thing that I come back to is that for him to even like reach some of the comparisons that he gets offensively, there's going to need to be a really specific setup. Um, you kind of need a unicorn next to him so that he can, take advantage of some of his uh, ancillary skills like post-ups. And you need to have a scheme that moves around a ton so that you can get him on different defenders so that he is, you know, get guarded by three sometimes, fours other times, fives um, on short rolls. There's so much required, and that's just the offensive side. And the whole problem with Obi is that there's a defensive side. Um, and I think uh, uh, Mike Rivenov who has the the wonderful YouTube series talked about how like the confluences of ifs that would be required to not take OB high. Um, you know, if you, you know, if a playoff series happens where if the other team has a, a four or a five who's mobile, if, you know, you can get that far, those things are really far away for a team that's probably going to take OB top five. Um, and he, I think that he will produce um, regular season value. Uh, it's, what happens when games matter um, that really scares me. He is uh, a you to, in the research that I've done for the, the big man defense series. Uh, there's one coverage that I found that he could play. Okay. Um, and that's going to be ice, which is losing a lot of its uh, popularity in the last four or five years. Um, that's because it leverages the physical traits that Obi has, which is that he can move sideways rather than backwards and it gives him more time to load up against defenders other than that like he's going to get torched when he plays drop his arms aren't long enough he's not a good enough predictive defender he's going to get hurt if teams hedge he can't switch so unless you have a unicorn big that can also defend space the floor for him an offensive coach that 
can create a dynamic playbook for him to attack mismatches all over the floor, um, and you play ice coverage, I think that that's a lot of ifs to produce any kind of value. Yeah, I mean, are there any fits, like, disregard the range that he's going to go in, um, or I guess not disregard, because I think this is going to drive home why uh, his stock is is a problem for him. Are there any fits that you like at all throughout the NBA? Like, the only one that I can think of is Dallas. I kind of like Portland. Okay. Um, it's not exactly the circumstance we described, but, like, there's just enough dynamism mm-hmm. to the offensive approach and uh, I mean the defense would be its own problem but when I had Blazers in the uh, draft Twitter mock we just went all offense everything and I think that that's a possibility uh, for this team to try to reach the ceiling is just to go all offense everything um, it's it's a much harder fit than the people who will compare him to Amari Stoudemire will admit <laughs> yeah I mean do, do you like um I don't know, like Milwaukee or Orlando. I'm just trying to think about teams that like conceivably have that front court partner that might be able to make it work. They might have the front court partner, but they don't have the usage vacuum that he's going to need yeah. to produce value. Yeah, he's exactly. not. Yeah. He's not necessarily a scalable player. Like he produces value in, you know, in things that, like, like lobs, like pick and roll possessions, but he still is going to need a large enough volume to make that worthwhile, or else you could just like go get Powell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to Max's point about bigs adding value, I mean, just looking at this year, the only like true bigs that had above a two offensive PIPM were Jokic, Towns, and Anthony Davis. And when you go into, I mean, and Giannis, of course, and and like the, like the more liberal application of bigs you add guys like zion into that group and like considering the value that obi's gonna bleed on defense like we've been talking about he's gonna have to get like be a really outlier offensive big to actually contribute like even like slightly above neutral or positive value um and like we've been talking about he's gonna require a really specific situation to do that so yeah, I mean, I, I have like zero FOMO on Obi. No, because yeah. because like even even if he is as good of an offensive player as people think he's going to be, like I feel like even the optimists I think acknowledge the fact that he's it's like totally destructive for your team building. Like it, it's so hard to build a good team with Obi in the picture, yeah. unless unless he is unless he's your bench scorer. Yeah, and then if he's a bench scorer, why are you drafting him in the top 10? And you're not going to make him – I mean, you're not going to give him the usage of a Jokic or a Towns or a Davis or a Zion or anybody like that. I mean, he's just not that caliber of offensive player. I mean, being as good on offense as he is. So, I mean, it's, it's a really confounding thing for him. That's kind of bad for all parties. I mean, him and the team that he's eventually going to be drafted to. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, Obi was cool when he was like a last season when he was like a fringy sleeper kind of mid-major scorer. I mean, people were like, this guy could be a cool second rounder, and then he decided to be the best player in college basketball at like 22 years old. So, yeah, he's just a he's a thoroughly problematic archetype for returning value, and then you add on the layers of expending a like a huge draft capital on somebody that the juice is probably not going to be worth the squeeze. But it's like it's gonna be fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah like he'll sell tickets. Like, like he's not gonna look like a bust. Is the thing. Like, no. I, I do think if you take Obi in the top ten, like you're not, you're not, um, 
endangering your job as a as an executive like i don't think Obi's gonna make you look particularly bad it's just in seven years when you haven't won anything yeah. then you're then you're gonna be in a risky spot yeah and that's exactly mm-hmm. that's exactly what mike says uh said in the in his breakdown of, of Obi is that he he's going to keep your job because there's just going to be so many counting stats but it's also going to be one of those things where history probably won't be kind to you if anyone else with a higher ceiling pops from below class seven. Yeah. Which, yeah. They, which is a good chance they will, given the... I mean, then again, though, class. look at how the Hawks are discussed for the Luka Doncic trade because, just because they got a guy who's also good. I mean, I, I don't know that, that you... that at least in like the way that whoever takes OB is discussed, like say OB goes, goes seventh and I don't know, RJ Hampton goes 10th and like becomes a star. I don't think that the team that took OB will get killed because like, th- I don't think that's how discourse about the draft works. Like the Hawks haven't gotten killed for passing on Luka Doncic, even though they very obviously should. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that, that I think that like OB is, is like a, a, a shrewd, self-preservation choice in the short term and is probably just going to doom you in the long term because like when you haven't won anything in seven years you're you're just going to get fired yeah and when obi's i mean when his counting stats are sub all-star level and he's demanding a a, a near max contract at age like 27 and that's his rookie contract is up it's it's not going to be good for anyone's team building aspirations so do we have a memorial trophy named for having the shortest view in the room <laughs> no, we should. <laughs> um, should we should we move on to a guy who we've discussed in depth, and I think presents some similar team building issues to Obi, but I think not as extreme. Not a, yeah. In in James Wiseman, a guy who I who is the only guy that we put in in the category of not sure for how his draft stock impacts um impacts his his uh his developmental projection um because on the one hand i think like he'll get lots of chances he'll always have the luster of being a top five pick um and i think it will be good in terms of just like giving him the time and reps that he needs to become the positive regular season player that i think he'll be but on the other hand like we talked about in that philosophical discussions uh in those two episodes with with pd that it would be so much easier if you could just take james wiseman 19th and take Xavier Tillman 35th and platoon them in a way where Wiseman gets more minutes in the regular season and then the roles flip in the playoffs. Like that would be so much easier. It would be so much better from a team building perspective. But I from from Wiseman's perspective, I think that he probably that he definitely benefits from being a really high pick. Um so I think it's a it's a weird one and I'm not sure where I come down on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the ramifications of, of Wiseman's draft stock are certainly less than most of the guys that we've talked about. I mean, because like, I mean, because like, like we've talked about, for all his flaws, he is a, a massive human who's coordinated in the open floor and is like going to deter shots at the rim purely because of his size. Whether or not he's technically good enough to do that at a high level or can do it in high leverage situations, but I mean, because of that, he'll he'll be a fine regular season big man. And like whether or not he gets drafted in the top five, or like maybe he in some alternate universe his stock falls to like twenty. I think his role. I mean, bes- besides leash, leash is really what's going to change there. 
and like willingness to, to play in minutes, but I think his role is pretty is pretty known, like what it is. I mean, because I, I mean, I don't think any top five team is, is going to ask him to like dribble the ball or like create, or at least like, at least for for their sake, I hope they don't. Yeah, it's it's just like we were uh, previously. I would love Wiseman at like sixteen. That would be so amazing. You could really uh, mold without feeling like you had to throw him to the wolves. I mean, this is a, a player who is low feel in high school with all the physical dominance in the world, was low feel in college and then missed a whole year. Um, Mitchell Robinson is, you know, a more extreme case of missing time and what that can do to big men rotation feel. But there has to be some concern about what, how he processes the game and how that's going to affect a young team, affect team building and affect the chain of developments you have attached to him. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is really interesting to think how the missing time plays in. Cause I, I think PD, we've talked about this briefly in the past, but someone like Harry Giles who kept having these, these like catastrophic injuries and missing time. Like you could see that in his feel, like the feel like back when he was a, a junior, uh, like junior, senior age player, just, it wasn't there because he had missed so many of these reps that he just needed to get. I mean, it is it is interesting to think, like, how Wiseman is damaged by missing an entire year, essentially, of playing basketball. Yeah, um, I think that I would frame it as how are you, how is an organization going to accelerate his reps to the point that they can make up for lost time? And yeah. I don't really have a particularly good answer for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a fascinating player. Um, I, I think like, like a lot of guys in this class does present like very interesting philosophical debates, which, I mean, if, if you haven't listened to, to the first couple of episodes with PD from, from two weeks ago, uh, check them out because, uh, we, we touched a lot on, on like development theory, um, and Wiseman features prominently in that. Um, I think that's all of the ha- all of the guys we have for our main topic today. So I think we're good to move on to our our, our catching eye section. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Max, you want to start? Sure. Um, I will do a trio of guys, kind of in one. Um, just going back, watching Robert Woodard, Onyeka Kongwu, and Vernon Carey this week. Um, definitely saw some passing from all of them that w- was impressive in different ways. Um, just Woodard, uh, like particularly, I think he excels as like a drop-off passer on the interior, but he just showed some, some, especially handling coordination. Like, like he opens the Florida game with just, just like sharp change of direction split and then a little dump off. And it it was just like, Whoa, I did not know Robert Woodard could do that. Um, I don't think it's a consistent part of his game by any means or like, um, indicates some sort of creation upside, but just a nice thing to have, uh, in that complimentary wing forward role. Um, and I'm sure I don't know Pete. That's going to make PD angry that someone is is uh, yeah, is speaking positively about Robert Woodard. Um, and then a Kongwu. I just watched the his final college game against UCLA, and it was probably the best passing on the roll that I've ever seen from him, which was really encouraging to me because I think that that's been his passing on the move has been consistently getting better. Like back in high school in AAU. I thought that his post passing was pretty good and the passing on the move was really bad. Uh, and then throughout the year, I feel like his passing on the move has gotten better and better. And then up to that game where it was really impressive 
where on the roll he was he had kicks to the corner he had over a top over the top to uh guy in the dunker spot and then like even like a fake pass to the wing which which forced like a tag to recover uh because they were the threat of its passing was real. And then, I mean, he, Onyeka Kongwu gets one foot in the paint and he can just explode to the rim because he's such a quick and powerful leaper. Um, so I just think that's a really positive development to be seeing from him. The passing on the roll is really important for him. Uh, like we talked about, I think back in our second episode with Jackson Frank, I don't think Onyeka Kongwu is is like at the highest level uh, of IQ, which concerns me a little bit for his projection. But just this this development arc that he's on as an on the move passer is really positive uh and i think it just makes me more and more confident that he's going to be a very very good nba player and then finally vernon carey uh i tweeted about this the other day but he was a 0.5 assist to turnover guy in college uh comparable to stuart uh precious oscar shibwe uh a kongwu as well um, just not a good number, does not put him in good uh, historical company. However, I think that uh, aside from a Kongwu, compared to these other guys that, that um, you know, are in the first to second range uh, as prospects, I think Carey is definitely a step above them as a passer. Uh, he he has some passes, like he, he handles post doubles, I think, better than those guys. Like he has a willingness to pass that those guys don't have. Um, he has he has some like post skips that are that are really impressive uh, and just something that you'll you know he'll make three or four passes in one game that would be the best pass Isaiah Stewart threw all year. Um, so I just think that that Carey, like we've talked about, uh, has a much more um, like legitimate role in the NBA than someone like Isaiah Stewart. And playing into that, I think, is that he both you know is capable of. of more difficult reads in store, but also has some functionality, uh, functionality um, working off the dribble and off the move that, that someone like Stort definitely doesn't have. So just taking together those three guys saw some, some positive development or just saw new things from them as passers that I didn't really think they had that uh, make me a little more comfortable with, with their uh, projections to the NBA. I would like to push back on Kerry if uh-huh. possible. Um, yeah. He's the other uh, big I featured in slow feet. Don't eat part two. Uh, he might be the worst defender that like I saw this year, like consistently. Yeah, he's not good. <laughs> and um, like Obi has physical limitations that are like real, and you can tell that he's trying to do things. Um, sometimes they're just things he's incapable of doing. Uh, Carey just doesn't look like he cared. Um, he would, on tape, do the least he could without being yelled at. Is like a note that I had over and over and over again. And it's really disappointing for a player who has the dimensions of a drop big and who has really good feet to potentially be an above screen big to do none of those things particularly well. So there are so many possessions uh, that I saw where his hands are just at his sides for the entire possession until the shot goes up and he'll lightly raise it up and sprint to the other end to try to get a leak out. Um, About as bad of, of pick and roll tape as you'll find from a big who has plus tools. Yeah, actually, th- that reminds me of something else I wanted to to bring up, that I would be introducing the um, Bull versus Houston rule um, <laughs> because because it, it applies to carry. Um, so Bull versus Houston is, like, I think, one of the most remarkably bad prospect performances I've ever seen. It is, like, so bad the guy doesn't – Bull did not look like, a, like an NBA prospect. 
And so basically the bull versus Houston rule is that if at any point when I am watching a prospect, I am reminded of bowl against Houston until further notice, that guy is just not a prospect because that is, that is, it's just not NBA prospect caliber tape. Um, so that has happened to me now three times. <laughs> um, so this summer watching Vernon Carey against Gonzaga prep and um, Anton Watson, I think in the, I forget some, some sort of tournament, it was the worst defensive performance I think I've seen from a prospect, like totally apathetic, uh, just a complete disaster. And that was the first time that not watching Bull vs. Houston, I thought of Bull vs. Houston. Um, and so that that's the the genesis of the rule. And then the other guy that it's, that it's happened with, and has now happened with this guy two times, which is not good, um, is Jamias Ramsey. Yeah. So it happened during the Baylor game, which Oklahoma is like State. one of the worst off-ball defensive games that I've seen. Just wildly, wildly bad. Um, made me think of Bull versus Houston. Uh, and it just happened this week against Oklahoma State um, on offense, just like some of the worst decision-making I've ever seen. No ability to create separation on the ball. Uh, yeah. Just absolutely horrific. was just laughing and like yelling expletives. Just absolutely horrific. And if you have two Bull versus Houston games, you're such a, such a tough sell as a prospect because that means that like what like – seven or eight percent or something like that of your of your college film now is like non-nba prospect bad like it's that bad um so that's really not a good sign uh as i continue to get lower and lower and lower on jamias ramsey i think that was the oklahoma state game was the game where he like if i recall right that he like was matched up on your a i think yes yes or four times in like the first 10 minutes and he couldn't beat him three or four times in like the first 10 minutes and i i just wanted to turn it off and stop watching because i mean if your build is like a score guard and you can't get by like a six nine college plotting like plotter like I, i i don't know Right, but yeah, I, I mean, like my Bull versus Houston recent game was Polybua versus I think it was like Trieste, where it was like the worst defensive game I've ever seen, um, like on on par with Bull versus Houston. But I, I mean, it's but yeah, I mean Ramsey, Bua, Carey, and it's not it, it, it's not exactly an esteemed club to to, to join. Yeah, after after the Oklahoma State. Uh game i invoked the bull versus houston rule and i dropped ramsey out of my top 60 like i it was it was truly that bad like he was remarkably bad at the thing that like you said he's supposed to be a scoring guard i mean i just i like i i really even i just don't think that he's an nba player honestly um and to think that like he's pretty firmly a first round prospect is bonkers like to be that bad of a defender playing for Chris Beard. Like, yeah, how nuts is that? Uh, okay, what are the odds that Mac McClung next year is a better, or whenever he plays, is, is a better <laughs> defender than Ramsey? Like, he will be. I think he will be. That, it, it's, it is dumbfounding how bad of a defender Ramsey was at, at Texas Tech. Um, I don't know, PD, have you, have you had any Bowl versus Houston experiences? Yes, Vernon Carey and pick and roll versus NC State had to. <laughs> Um, it's uh, it was so bad that K went zone in the second half, and they were like a, a thing that K notably does not enjoy. And they blew out NC State in the second half because they went zone. 
And NC State's game plan was just spread, pick, and roll at Vernon Carey. And I probably had 20 clips that I could have used for this article. And all of, like, and it's one thing to be incorrect in your scheme and just, like, have bad things happen. But when you do inexplicable bad things with this insane of a prospect pedigree that Vernon Carey has, it is distressing. I've He has two clips that I just, like, hadn't seen before, which is where you run to the wrong side of a pick and roll and sit there. Um, And I, like, I just don't know how that happens multiple times in the same game. Um, I think think you don't watch enough Ennis Cantor then. (laughs) (sighs) I I recently watched Cantor's uh, Hoop Summit, and it wasn't as bad as this game. (laughs) So, I mean, like, how, like... How much worse was the carry stuff than like Marvin Bagley, who forced K to go zone for like an entire season? Um, I would say it's pretty dramatically worse. Um, okay, that's, I, that's, I not thought, good. that's not good. I thought that Bagley, I don't want to say got entirely screwed, but like Carry was more set up to succeed than Bagley was with like people around him. In my opinion, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, I think. Bagley being a like a four kind of leverage some of that where it's like well it's not a hundred percent his fault he, like Kerry was supposed to be the linchpin that made this entire defensive scheme work and you could just plug in wings around him and you have a great college point guard defender and you're just going to harass people with this dude who's like a you know a seven foot tall refrigerator and people are going to be in trouble in passing lanes and instead it was um it was just a valet to the room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, all right. Should we PD, let do... PD talk about his PD? Why don't let's bring some positivity into this. Okay. Into uh-huh. this um, <laughs> podcast. Hopefully. Um, so the thing that has caught my eye is the machinations behind the 2021 draft. Um, depending on how you interpret the tea leaves. Um, our current CBA is going to get broken up and one and done will happen in 2022 or it won't. Recent prospects like Terrence Clark and Musa Cisse have declassed back to 2020 and it's an expectation that Jonathan Kamingo will move up either to Texas Tech or to the G League in the coming weeks. Uh, it's definitely going to be interesting and the person who is most affected by this is Jaden Springer. Uh, Jaden Springer is like 6'5", 210. He's been covered on Prep to Pro before and look forward to the 2021 draft. Um, He has the problem of not enough eyes are on him. Uh, He plays UAA, which is uh, a lower light circuit, not necessarily in competition, but in attention. And he played in a terrible uh, context with IMG this year, which after Jalen Johnson transferred back home, was him, another guard, and a bunch of young bigs. So this is a prospect who played on a lower, uh, a little off the spotlight in EYBL um, and had a rough senior season context, but should be considered a top five player in next year's draft. Um, he's probably 6'5 now. It's worth noting that his brothers are 6'8 and 6'9, and he is young for his grade. So there is a strong possibility that Jaden Springer wing is a real thing. Uh, he is a plus shooter. Uh, he's like an 80-something percent free throw shooter across uh, all contexts. He's a he's a free throw uh, demon. Huge uh, lower body strength. Was one of the few people to give Cade trouble. Uh, 
which is a, a real feather and, in the and, and AJ Griffin and AJ Griffin. Um, he's a good but not excellent passer. But if he's a wing, and if he's a primary wing, like that opens up uh, a whole different uh, a different value theater. Uh, the reason why I'm really excited is that uh, every draft fan is going to be a Tennessee fan next year because they have yes. the best collection of uh, yes. pre-game and in-game dunkers that you could probably find in the last like, five years. Pons and Pons and Keon are gonna Pons and Keon are gonna sell out like warmups. And oh, yeah, I have I have so. a different pick. I have a different pick for the best dunker on the team. Malachi oh, Wideman is going to be the best dunker on the team. Oh, uh, he's. I, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's I guess. also noted dunker on this team. Yeah, I mean, all he does is yeah. I mean, I guess he's going to be a warm up god. It's going that's, to be insanely fun. Gonna, gonna be ridiculous. So yeah, uh, keep an eye on Jaden Springer. He might be six eight. He might be oh a god. wing. Uh, he definitely deserves your attention. Um, the shooting numbers are good. He's super young, which is always a thing that I value uh, probably above uh what rsci does and uh just set your dvrs for all tennessee games especially games uh that may not be close because you'll get malachi wise yeah. time and he's going to try to do a double windmill yeah yeah I I'll mean, say, uh, I, if you go back to uh episode four with ross homan we while previewing the 2021 class talked about Jaden a lot because ross is along with pd driving the Jaden springer hype train um definitely my concern with him has been the decision making um and thinking that he's more of a combo guard however if he grows to six seven six eight and is legitimately a wing uh it's a totally different equation because though you know those like if he instead is a wing creator in uh you know instead of being a, a you know guard sized guy it's really interesting and i mean like like uh pd said he he played ua uh, and I think he only played like eight games, but yeah. the numbers were nuts. Like his per 36 numbers were 25.6 points, eight boards, four assists, uh, over 60 true shooting. Um, just was like absolutely nuts while being one of the younger guys in the class. And then his the IMG context was really awful. Like people think IMG powerhouse, but once Jalen Johnson left, like it was, it was Jaden and it was Matthew Morell who's like a very good shooter, but he's like, he's like an off guard shooter. Like there was no creation on that team whatsoever. Um, And a lot of their like highly regarded younger guys who are like kind of wingy aren't all that good. Um, So definitely like a guy who's underrated. Uh, I I think the appeal to me is more if he grows into a wing, uh, because as of right now, I think he's more combo guard, but like, he also has a game that would translate really well to being a wing because he is like he's like a weird power guard. Um, so if he's six seven, that that is a much more uh, appealing package. It's one yeah. of the weirder things that he's like that his potential growth, considering how young he is, um, it is a subtext in a lot of um, recruiting conversations that like age isn't generally talked about. Um, but with Springer, who's younger, and having the family who's like real tall, that's the thing that should lead a lot of the hey, this kid's super developed. He's smart. He produces at every level. He's young. Oh, and his brothers are all like Division One big men. Yeah, I mean, he's also he his like beyond just being a crazy defender. Like he's not just a crazy guard defender. Like you said, like he is one of the few guys in high school basketball that made Cade Cunningham uncomfortable. One of the few guys that made 
uh, AJ Griffin uncomfortable. And those are like superstar wing sized players. Like those, those are legit NBA wings with NBA wing bodies. Um, so, I mean, even now, even as a six, five combo, he's defending those guys at not just a high level at literally the best level of anyone in high school basketball. So, I mean, imagining this guy with a legit NBA wing frame is intimidating. Yeah. All right. So should we move on to, so I guess enough spring as well. I'm going to my thing, which will be quick. Um, last, I think last time we had PD on Max, like offhand brought up like basically every like like anecdotally it seems like everyone who shoots long twos at a good clip and makes a lot of them ends up being a good pull-up shooter and like based on the research i've done recently that's pretty much true that i mean long two unassisted long twos is like seems to be like one of if not the most predictive um number for long for pull-up shooting success i mean i I mean, there are very few guys who didn't make at least like 30 or 40 long twos, um, mostly unassisted, and ended up being, and like guys who hit below that ended up being like good pull up shooters. And like the only real outliers were guys like Paul George, who was a 90% free throw shooter, and Kyrie Irving, who was injured. And like the only like real unexplainable statistical outlier is Zach Levine, who again, is just like his shooting development has been very outlier. So, I mean, just another reinf- reinforcer for like betting on those guys who hit a lot of long twos, like guys like Cole Anthony, like, like you talked about earlier, who make a lot of those and are obviously going to be very, looks like, seem like they're going to be very good shooters at the next level off the dribble. So. Um, one thing I will say about Zach Levine, uh, me and uh, Zach Milner are very big into background research. Zach Levine has one of the most legendary work ethics that you will ever find in a prospect or an NBA player. So him appearing on that list to me is more that like Zach Levine just puts in a ridiculous amount of work and basically in a gym 24 seven. So if you remove the like outlier of outlier work ethic, you basically just have a list of purely guys who shot long twos and then turned out to shoot three. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's the list. And I mean, like, like of guys who weren't like great free throw shooters, you have like the Siakams who hit like, so many long twos it's ridiculous i mean he, i mean he hit 113 long twos in his final season which is absurd and yeah i mean it makes sense you talk about like all of these indicators and i think one of the things that pd brought up like with free throw shooting is what's the connection between free throw shooting and three-point shooting really like it, they're pretty different um but shooting a like a pull-up long two and a pull-up three-pointer like it is pretty similar like you are essentially right. doing the same thing like uh-huh. the only functional difference is like five feet so. yeah it's like there are there are minor differences um and like obviously like some some trajectories aren't going to work as well some uh like lower bodies won't work as well probably but for the most part i mean you're effectively doing the same thing like that's one where you wouldn't need to explain to someone why that's an indicator it makes yeah. a lot of sense yeah, and it seems like, and, and I mean, in draft Twitter and like especially traditional scouting, it's wildly underutilized in terms of projecting pull value in the future. Yeah, I guess Ben, what you're saying is we should have known Jason Tatum was going to become like the goat wing pull yeah, up shooter. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Tatum did make 46 long twos, only 6.5 percent assisted. So I mean, it was pretty obvious combined with his like high free throws and his track record of shot making in. In, in in like 
even going back to EYBL that he was yeah. eventually going to turn into a very good pull-up three-point shooter. So I'm, I, I mean, yeah, like these things, these things matter. And like, even though like Tatum was like knocked at for, for like his decision-making in college and not really being able to like, and taking a lot of these long, longer twos. I mean, the fact that he was just actually a really incredible, difficult shot maker that ended up translating to the NBA in a way that's made him like a meaningful, like all NBA level player just wasn't really accounted for. And that's the thing that like we do have to account for in, in projections as like, if these guys are really outlier difficult shot makers, then like that's, that that's a value if they can turn that into pull up threes at like even a semi good clip, especially as size increases, like with guys like Tatum and Devin Vassell is another case uh, in favor of this point. So I would be really interested in uh, a statistical analysis going forward of, uh, off the dribble three pointers plus off the dribble long twos, um, and their correlation with shooting at the next level. Um, Neil Johnson, who is in the ESPN analytics department, who uh, has a number of uh, correlation papers that are public domain, I believe, um, has noted that free throw attempt rate and three point rate are like the most stable things from uh, from the circuits to, to college. And if you include the off the dribble three point rate and the long two rate. I wonder what the correlation is going to be with people who do end up developing as shooters but aren't shooters at a lower level. Yeah. All right, so um, we're a minute away from two hours here in this recording, so I think we're going to wrap things up. Uh, once again, big thanks to PD for coming on again, giving some of his insight. We adore having him on, and it seems like you guys love listening to him. So we're very grateful that he decides to spend his time talking to us. And 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 for you guys, you can follow him on Twitter at Above the Break Three. Like like he's like we've kind of mentioned, he's doing a like a massive series called Slow Feet Don't Eat on the, uh, on the big men in the 2020 draft and their applications in different pick and roll coverages. It's fascinating. And it's very, very interesting stuff. Uh, if you have any sort of interest in basketball or the draft or anything tangentially, tangentially related to that, um, would highly recommend that you go give those a read on his Twitter. And then, as always, follow the pod at Prep2ProPod on Twitter. Follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer uh, underscore. Follow Max at Max A. Carlin. And anybody else has anything else to add before we wrap up? Chepkevich. <laughs> yeah uh shout out to our friend john chepkevich he does yeah, cool. ch- yeah check out check out john's um his film room breakdowns yes he had one with shamarcus kennedy and that made me so happy like i like i don't even know like that's fantastic i mean yeah john, he does awesome work john is doing like schmidt style film room breakdowns on youtube they're very good. Um, it's a way for people who are doing amateur scouting to, you know, get an idea of, of what these guys, how these guys think, what they are, you know, um, seeing when they're playing the game. Uh, I would highly recommend them. Would highly recommend the Xavier Tillman one because yes, that, that uh, was a great one. He was because very Xavier intelligent. Tillman, Xavier Tillman is as intelligent as you'd think he is. Uh, a team should draft him in the first round, please. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think I think that's. Uh, That'll probably do it for today, right? Yeah. Um, Same deal as last time, y'all. Send me a screenshot. Get some free content. Five stars. If you send four stars, you will get nothing. Five <laughs> stars. Please help out. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys sent, like, a ton of reviews last time. We got an awesome response. And 
those five star reviews really do help boost our listenership and get our pod out there. And like we've been growing pretty, we, we we've been growing really quickly over the last couple of months as a result of it. And like just tons of appreciation out from Max, me, PD, all of us who guest on, from everyone who tunes into the show weekly, leaves reviews, interacts with us on Twitter. It m- means the world to us. So I think that's all we have uh, actually today. As we cross the two-hour threshold, this will likely be the second part you're hearing. So it won't actually be two hours for you, but for us it is. So with that being said, um, have a good day, everyone. Stay safe, and we'll see you later.